You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. These last few weeks, we've kind of been hitting on a theme of this whole idea of how God not only brings about delays and detours, downtimes and dead ends uh, into our lives, but how God is also able to take those detours, those dead ends, those delays, um, and he's able to bring forth a greater plan and purpose to our lives that would have never occurred any other way. And the challenge for all of us, and I include myself in this first and foremost, is that we get so focused on and we can get frustrated by and we can get really impatient with those detours, those delays, those dead ends in our lives. Oftentimes, we're overlooking and we're kind of missing the possibility of what is God doing in the midst of that. Because God is not inactive, God isn't asleep, God isn't unaware of what we're going through. He's very much aware of where we're at, of where we need to be going, of his plans and purposes uh, for us. And sometimes delays and detours are kind of a necessary part of his plans and purposes in order to get us where we need uh, to go. So we've been kind of looking at several themes over these last few weeks, and one of the reoccurring themes that you see just throughout the scriptures is that with every opportunity in our lives, there always comes with it opposition. With every opportunity, every opposition, there also comes opportunities so you, you get, uh, again, you get a opportunity, there comes opposition, and then there are opportunities, again, to learn very, very practical and helpful spiritual lessons. So one of the spiritual lessons I'm kind of learning from the events of a couple Sundays ago is really kind of just learning to, to not just commit myself, but to learn how to abide in kind of what I think of as a perpetual place of just learning how to wait upon the Lord for daily, for minute-to-minute guidance and direction for my life. Two Sundays uh, ago, when I kind of just had that complete just shutdown um, here, when I got home, God had kind of given me this picture, and I shared this with a couple of you, that God had kind of given me this picture that I was kind of standing in the middle of a road, and next to me is Jesus. And there's just all of these, I would say they're just, it just felt like there were hundreds of roads leading to all different places. And I'm just kind of standing there with Jesus, and I remember just looking around at all of these roads, whether those were opportunities, uh, I don't know what they all represented, but they were just all roads leading in different directions. And, And again, not that any of them were bad, they could have all been very, very good, but I just kind of felt in that moment very overwhelmed by just where to go. I'm just there with Jesus. And I just remember looking up at him 
And I just said, where to, Lord? Where to? And I just felt in that moment uh, of just abiding there with him and just this, this need to just abide and wait. Never moved, never felt that God gave me any direction other than just to stand there with him, looking to him saying, where to, Lord, where to? And, and so it really kind of brought me back to this need to just learn how to wait upon the Lord and, and just to wait upon him for my day-to-day, my minute-to-minute need uh, and, and direction. And again, I felt like the Lord saying, this isn't just a one-time event. He said, this just really needs to become a way of life for you. And I don't know about you, but I am not very good at waiting upon the Lord, okay? In the rare moments that I do wait upon the Lord for direction, for guidance, for help, usually uh, those moments I've got a lot of impatience. You know, I I, want to get going. I want to do something. And and when I'm just trying to wait on the Lord, I kind of just begin to grow somewhat impatient. And and I'll maybe kind of give God five minutes to come up with a solution or some direction, or I'm just gonna take whatever action seems best to me in the moment. So one of the things that, that we constantly have to keep reminding ourselves of and committing ourselves to is just learning to slow down, to be patient, and just to wait on him. Now, the other spiritual lesson I took away from uh, the event two Sundays ago is that every one of us tends to respond to negative, difficult situations and circumstances in our lives through our fears, our pains, or our preferences. Okay, every one of us in this room, uh, we're, we're no different. We all react to difficult situations and circumstances in our lives through our pains, our fears, or our preferences. So that particular morning, uh, all the distractions that were taking place, I chose to respond out of my fear and my pain. The fear or the pain of feeling disrespected, the pain of of feeling that maybe what I was doing uh, didn't matter. Um, It it, um, just you know, does it have any spiritual significance? So those, those, those fears kind of started to rise to the surface and I responded to that. It's the, it's the pain of feeling, again, that, um, that, um, that I was um, being devalued somehow. And so again, as, as, I'm, as I'm experiencing all of that, again, I began to respond out of of that. So distractions um, have a way of triggering some of that for me. Uh, when, it, when I'm up here, distractions have a way of triggering those, and those are things that I need to learn to understand, and then how do I begin to respond to those um, in, in, a, in, a, in a godly way? And again, this is true for every one of us. Um, Our reaction, again, to negative situations and circumstances, they will manifest in our lives through fear, pain, or preference. And it's, again, only as we kind of become aware of exactly 
what those are, are we really able to acknowledge that and then we can kind of invite the Holy Spirit in and kind of begin to partner with him in those moments so that, again, we're able to respond out of a Christ-led, out of a, uh, a Spirit-led response rather than a response of our flesh, right? Anytime you choose to respond out of your flesh, it's not going to be good. And so again, one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to begin to, to do is again leading us and guiding us day by day, moment by moment, that we're able to react out of all situations, again, um, in a Christ-like manner. Now, the the other theme that we've kind of been looking at is there are times where we make mistakes in thinking God's delays are God's denial. So if, if God is delaying something, uh, he's denying me of that. And again, that, that's not always true. God may allow a delay or a detour in our lives to accomplish some greater good we don't see uh, in what's happening in the moment. So again, this morning, I want to look at a story uh, involving what I would call the divine delay. That not only did it have, uh, you know, huge implications, but also huge results. It's a story that I shared uh, this week at the, at the funeral uh, of Bonnie. It's the story in John 11, and it involves some very dear friends of Jesus named Matthew, Martha, and Lazarus. John 11, beginning in verse 1, says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, the, the whole story kind of takes place one, verses 1 through 45. I'm not going to go through all of that, so I'm kind of just picking out the more relevant parts of the story, but I would encourage you to take some time and, and just read through that whole event there in John 11, verses 1 through 45. So, the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now therein lies to me the divine delay. Now the key verse that I want you to focus on here is that the final result would not be the, uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but rather the glory of God, okay? That Jesus would receive glory from what is about to happen. That's the focus of the story. Where God is going with, with this story isn't just the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which is significant in and of itself, but, but that's just a, a, a stop along the way. The greater destination, the bigger destination in the story was the glory of God. And that's where God was going with all of this. And, and again, God's bigger plan involved a delay. And that delay would involve the death of a very dear friend of Jesus's. But again, it was not the final destination of where God was going with all of this. Jesus saw and he understood. Even the disciples questioned him, saying, hey, we need to get going. 
Uh, and Jesus saw and he really kind of understood that God had a much bigger plan beyond Lazarus' healing. And he looked beyond Lazarus' sickness to the bigger picture, and that is the glory of God. And that's what Jesus kept in mind. So he delayed going so that Lazarus would die in order that a greater work of God would unfold, namely that God would be glorified. Now again, we don't think like this. This, this isn't an automatic thought that comes to us when we're in those delays and detours, especially when there are significant things that are impacting us in the moment, we're kind of caught up in the moment and we're not able to look beyond that moment to a bigger picture of what else may God do. And sometimes I kind of think to shudder, how many times have I missed, misread, misunderstood, or misappropriated God's divine delays and detours in my life and thereby really missing the bigger picture and plan of what God is trying to do. Now you take what I just said and you kind of lay that alongside of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And here's what he says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, and that's, I want you to focus on that. It's not just in what you eat or drink. He says, in everything and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's amazing if you go through the scriptures how much of what God does is for his glory. Where you and I are called in, in all of those circumstances to give God the glory. And so Paul's essentially saying there, he's saying no matter what you do, in everything you do, you do it so God gets the glory, that God gets the credit. Now again, be honest here. How many times do we do things for God or we ask God to do things for us so that we look good to ourselves or to others rather than God getting the glory? This is more about me kind of getting, you know, self-glorification when what, what God is really after in the moment is for him to be glorified, for him to get the credit. And again, we do this in, in, in a lot of subtle and not so subtle ways. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 1. He starts off by saying, beware, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Now, again, go back and think about a lot of the things that we do um, in, in terms of good deeds. It's to be admired by others. It's to be recognized. It's to be, you know, thanked. It's maybe to be given awards. So he's kind of speaking again to our motivations. What are, what are our motivations when we're doing good deeds for others? Is it to be admired by others? And he says, when we do it with that motivation, he says, you've lost your reward. And I've probably done that more times than I'm even aware of. So Jesus would rather us do our good deeds not again to be admired by others, but rather that God would get the glory, that God would get the credit for those good deeds. And he's calling us to do our good deeds in such a way that it would, it would cause the recipients, the, the people that are, are receiving of those good deeds, that it would be done in such a way that, that as those good deeds are being done to that person, that that person would respond by saying, oh, is God so good? God is good to me. 
It's not that you who did the good deed, that you're good. It's that God is good. And, and, and that's the motivation, that's the heart that Jesus calls us um, to serve. It, it's a response in which God gets the glory, God gets the credit for what was done and not us. Now, I want to tell you, this way of life and ministry involves humility and dying to self on a daily basis. Unless and until we humble ourselves and die to ourselves, much of what we will attempt to do for the kingdom of God will be about bringing attention uh, to ourselves rather than giving the glory to God. And Jesus goes on there in verse two. He says, likewise, when you give to those in need, don't blow your trumpet like hypocrites do, that they may be seen and praised by others. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to those in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, the challenge here is how many times do we do ministry for God so that we may be seen and praised by others? That's not the destination. That's not why we're called to do those things. We're called to do those things for the greater purpose of God getting the glory. And it's amazing because you just continue to make your way through chapter six there. Jesus lays out all of these ways that we may be tempted to do something spiritual so as to put the focus on ourselves rather than seeking to do, as Paul said there in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And, and Jesus covers prayer and fasting, forgiving others, the way we use our money. He said all of that needs to be done in such a way that it doesn't draw attention to ourselves and praise to us, but rather we do it in a way where God gets the glory, God gets the credit, God gets the recognition for what is happening. So again, make sure the prayers you're praying, the promises of God you're standing on, the healing you may be seeking for, the blessings of God you are desiring, make sure all of that is being done for the express purpose of God getting the glory. And sometimes, again, some of our delays, our detours, our dead ends in life may be due to the fact that we want the glory or we want the credit, we want the recognition, we want the admiration rather than making sure God gets the glory. So Jesus there in John 11, he makes very, very clear that the glory of God is the final destination there and that the healing of Lazarus is just a stop along the way toward the greater destination. And in order for this to become about the glory of God, Jesus decides a delay is necessary. Now as you read the story, you see that both Mary and Martha are somewhat annoyed. And don't be too hard on them. I mean, how many times are we annoyed by the delays and the detours in our lives? but they're kind of somewhat annoyed by this delay. So in verses 21 and 32, both Martha and Mary essentially tell Jesus the same thing. They said, if you had, had been here, if only you had gotten here in time, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. If you'd only been here just a couple of days sooner, Jesus, we could have avoided this whole tragedy. And this is where sometimes we have to be able to have 
the ability to step back and see that maybe what we're going through right now may be necessary in order for a greater purpose, a greater good to come to pass that we just don't see or understand at, at, the, at the time or the moment we're in. And that's why, again, I caution all of us not to jump to conclusions that God's delay is God's denial, but rather he may be using a delay, a detour, a denial uh, in your life for a bigger, greater purpose than we can see at the time. And that again, that, that just requires, it's just waiting upon the Lord. It's just standing there with him saying, where to Jesus, where to? Where do we go? What do we do? And, and just waiting on him for that divine uh, guidance and direction. The other striking um, aspect of this div divine delay there in John 11, and I think this is really kind of fascinating to me, is it gives Jesus the opportunity to expand the faith and belief of Mary and Martha regarding the resurrection and life beyond death. Now the implication again, as I said earlier, is that had Jesus been there sooner, uh, Mary and Martha kind of both expressed their, their faith in, in Jesus's ability to heal Lazarus from whatever sickness he had. That's why they both tell Jesus basically the same thing. If you'd have gotten here sooner, he wouldn't have died because we know you would have healed him. And so they seem to have had the faith for Lazarus' healing, but not for anything bigger beyond that. And this is where Jesus, I believe, kind of wants to grow and expand their faith concerning the resurrection and life beyond death. Now again, notice the interaction between Martha and Jesus there in John 11, beginning in verse 21. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, if only you weren't delayed, I don't like delays, Jesus. If you hadn't been delayed, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise again. And Jesus and Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Now, you got to understand at this point, Martha is expressing a very familiar Old Testament Orthodox Jewish understanding of life after death. Old Testament traditional Orthodox Jews believed once you died in this life, the soul of every person, good or bad, went to a place called Sheol. You'll find that word throughout the Old Testament. And this place, Sheol, it's not the same as hell because hell was created to be a place of torment and a place of permanency. Sheol, on the other hand, was viewed as more of a holding place and it was temporary. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars understood Sheol to kind of be better described as what they called the land of shades. So whenever anybody died, 
whether they were good or bad, their soul went to this holding place, the land of shades, Sheol, and they just existed there living a very vague, shadowy, joyless, bleak, purposeless, ghostly kind of life. That, that, that was an Old Testament, traditional Jewish Orthodox view of life after death. There they would remain until one day the Messiah would come and judge them. The good ones go to heaven, the bad ones go to hell. So in a nutshell, this is what Martha believes. And, and this is what she responds to out of Jesus when she says, yeah, I know my brother will rise again. Martha believed her brother Lazarus, a good man, loved by Jesus. He's kind of just now in Sheol. He's in the land of shades. And he's kind of just eking out a pretty miserable existence until the final judgment day. What I want you to understand is Jesus' response to Martha was an invitation to see the afterlife in a whole new way. Jesus uses this delay, the death of Lazarus, to enable Martha and Mary, again, to reconsider how they viewed life beyond death. And Jesus is telling Martha that no one, including Lazarus, they don't have to wait uh, until the final resurrection to live. That because they believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. This is why Jesus says in John 10.10, we're talking here, John 11, beginning of John 11. Jesus says just prior to this event, he says this in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life. That word in the Greek is zoe. And, and that word means the God kind of life. And Jesus says, that the, the enemy, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he says, but I have come to give you zoe and to give you that God kind of life in abundance. This is what Jesus is inviting Mary and Martha into. To understand, to begin to see that this zoe, this God kind of life, begins the moment we're born again. And we don't have to wait until the, the, the final resurrection day to experience uh, and to begin walking in the fullness, the abundance of that zoe, that kind of God life. This, this is what Jesus is inviting Mary. And that's why he says, do you believe this? Because obviously she believed something totally different. And so Jesus is using this, this delay as an opportunity to widen and to expand her, her faith and her belief in the resurrection and the uh, afterlife. Now seriously, who would look forward to physical death if physical death was what Martha believed at that time? And again, that's why I, you'll, you'll notice Jesus basically says the same thing twice. He just uses different words to communicate the same thought. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? 
In other words, Jesus is saying, I, I know you believe that, but now I'm asking you, do you believe this? This is why it matters what you believe. People believe a lot of things because of the lies they believe they live pretty miserable lives. Jesus said, I, I came to give you life, Zoe, and to give you the God kind of life in abundance. Jesus is again attempting here to dispel the lies Martha believed regarding life after physical death. And Jesus is trying to convince Martha that life beyond this physical world, it is abundant, it is rich, it is full, it is vibrant, it is exhilarating. It is the opposite of what she believed. And that, that, that life begins the moment we're born again. It doesn't wait till we die. We experience that Zoe, that kind of life, the moment we're born again. It just continues on in the afterlife in a much fuller and in a much deeper uh, way. And the truth is, it's in the death of Lazarus that Martha was in the perfect frame of mind to be open to the truth that Jesus was giving to her. In other words, had Jesus just come seven, several days earlier and just healed Jesus or healed Lazarus, Mary probably wouldn't be open. She wouldn't be uh, questioning uh, the truth regarding the afterlife. But now that her dearly beloved brother is dead, and in Martha's mind, Lazarus is in Sheol again, kind of just eking out a pretty miserable existence, she's now opened. She's, she's now in a place where she is now more open uh, to what Jesus wants to teach her on the afterlife and death. And, and again, had Jesus just come and healed Lazarus, there, there would have been probably no desire, no need, no curiosity uh, to know anything about the afterlife beyond what she believed. And that's why he says to her, do you believe this? Here's one of the current theologies of Sheol in today's culture, soul sleep. Soul sleep is the belief that after a person dies, his or her soul sleeps until the resurrection and final judgment. So when you, when you die, you just kind of go into a, kind of a, a coma, for lack of a better word, and you just remain in that coma till Jesus comes again. Several years ago, a lady I knew, her husband had died rather unexpectedly and at an early age, and she and her husband were both Christians, and one day after Easter, I happened to run into her, and it, it kind of dawned on me that this would have been the first Easter uh, since her husband's passing. So I, I just took the opportunity to you know, wish her you know, a, a happy uh, Easter, and, and then I said, I'm sure it's both difficult and comforting for you to know that your husband spent his first Easter in heaven. Difficult in not having him uh, here with you, but comforting in that he is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ in heaven. She got this very, very indignant look on her face. I remember just seeing her jaw clenched and 
she kind of spit out these words and she said to me, my husband is asleep in the grave and will remain in the grave until Jesus comes back. Now, obviously, I, I didn't know them well enough to know that this is what they believed or I would have never, ever said something like that to her. It was her response that I found most chilling. There was no joy, there was no peace, there was no comfort in what she believed. If I didn't know any better, I would have guessed based off of her response that her husband was being punished. And again, this is where what you believe matters. Because what this woman believed, though sincere, I'll grant her, it was she believes this sincerely, produced a joyless rather than a joyful response. Abundant life should produce in us a joyful response, a joyful life. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Instead, I say that we are confident and willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What Paul's saying is, is to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So when, when we die, when, when our spirit leaves this body, we instantly are in the presence of God. That's what, that's what the scripture teaches. There's no soul sleep there. It, it's you take your last breath on earth and your first breath in heaven. It, 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 it happens, uh, the scriptures talk about that in the twinkling of an eye. You just go from here to go to there to be with Jesus, to be present with the Lord. And that's why at almost every funeral, I use scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5.8. Uh, I also use, the, even this last week, uh, I use a scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, where again, Paul gives us this truth. And he says, and now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know. He doesn't want us to, to be caught unaware. He doesn't want us guessing. He says, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. And again, it's all right to, to, to sorrow. It's all right to grieve the death of a loved one. Paul says, we just don't have to do that as people with no hope. We can grieve the loss of a loved one, and yet we can do that at the same time with great hope. He says, for since we believe, again, it matters what you believe. What you believe will manifest itself through your actions, through your thoughts, through your words. It matters what you believe. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe, again, it matters what we believe. That when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. And Paul says, I can tell you this directly from the Lord. In other words, Paul says, I'm not making this up. This isn't my wisdom. This isn't what I think. He said, I got this revelation directly from God. From God's mouth to my lips, Paul's basically saying. I got this directly from the Lord. 
We who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. It says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the call of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And first, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. You've heard me say this a million times. If I ever got a heads up that Jesus is coming back, I'm grabbing me a thermos of coffee and I'm going to a cemetery because I'm, 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 I'm about to see a miracle. Paul says, first Christians who have died will rise from their graves. I mean, those graves they're just gonna, they're just gonna blow up. And they're just gonna rise from their graves. They're, they're gonna rise with a, with a resurrected, glorified body. That body that comes out of the grave is gonna have an existence in which death and pain and sorrow, sickness and disease is no longer a possibility. They're gonna, they're gonna come out of that grave with a glorified, resurrected body. And then, and then Paul says, then we who remain together with them will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage one another with these words. Paul's giving this to them as a source of comfort and encouragement. Now again, when they come out of that grave with that resurrected, glorified body, we're also going to be changed in that moment. Paul talks about that in another place. He says, you know, that's why this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Um, and, and so when, when Jesus comes back, those in the grave, they're going to, they're going to rise, they're going to come up from the grave first with that resurrected, glorified body. Then we who remain, we're going to then get our resurrected, glorified bodies and then we're all going to go up together in the air to meet the Lord and remain with him forever. So those Christians that come back with Jesus at that time, then it will be where their spirit then goes into that resurrected body. That's what the scriptures teach. So again, it's, it's that great question that Jesus put to Martha. Do you believe this? It matters what you believe. Do you believe this? Now see, the Christians back in the early New Testament days following the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ believed that Jesus would return before any of them died. That's what they believed. They were brand new, spirit-filled Christians, and they thought, you know what, we we're going to probably maybe have to do this for maybe five to ten years at the most, and then by then Jesus will have come back, we'll be, you know, raptured out of here, and we'll be in heaven forever. So once Christians started dying in, in pretty significant numbers and Jesus hadn't returned yet, uh, the, the remaining Christians started to become somewhat concerned and anxious and fearful as to what happens to those Christians who died before Jesus returned. And, and I'm sure at one point they just start questioning Paul uh, as to what's going on here. And, and that's why Paul gets this revelation direct, directly from the Lord. And again, I share this scripture as well as other scriptures that talk about the afterlife, especially in the context of funerals, because I find that most people have no clue what happens to their loved ones after death. Or if they do, they're very unbiblical ideas like soul sleep. 
And so this is an opportunity in the midst of this delay, this purposeful, this divine delay, this is an opportunity for Jesus, again, to expand Mary and Martha's belief in the afterlife. And again, I, I, just, I just find that fascinating. That here again, God deliberately, divinely uses delays and detours in our lives, sometimes just to widen, just to uh, expand our understanding of God's word in order to bring us into places of greater freedom and joy. And again, I don't want to be too hard on Mary and Martha. I think a lot of us are like them in many ways. Every one of us in this room, including me, we're a mixture uh, of, of truth and untruths. We've got beliefs that are based upon the word of God and, and beliefs that are based on things other than the word of God. And like Martha, I, just, I always want to be open to the Holy Spirit, bringing correction into my life. I always want to be open and I always want to position myself in a way that, that God can speak to my heart that would enable me uh, to, to have a greater understanding to the reality and the purposes of God, his ways and his kingdom. And just be aware that sometimes God is going to use delays and detours in my life and in your life to get our attention and to bring us to a place where we are just open to a bigger, greater, deeper revelation. And so again, I, I just close with this. I, I, I invite you and, and I, uh, for myself, I just want to strive to position myself, to position my heart uh, in humility. Uh, and again, that everything that I'm doing, I'm doing for the glory of God. Because I just think anything less, uh, we open ourselves to the potential of delays and detours so that God can refocus our, our, our attention away from uh, self-glorification to God-glorification. And in those times and for those purposes, those delays, those detours, those dead ends sometimes are not only necessary, but I want you to see that sometimes those delays, those detours, those dead ends, they can be an extension of God's grace, his love, and his mercy toward us. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Father, again, I, I just thank you, Lord for the ways that you encounter us, God. And you, you encounter us, again, just for the whole purpose of being able to just experience more and more of you. And Father, I just again thank you for that reminder of how you use that delay in the life of Mary and Martha just to invite them to just a deeper and a, and a fuller a kingdom understanding of the afterlife and the resurrection. Father, again, I just thank you for that Zoe life that Jesus came to give us. Lord, we just thank you that that Zoe, that God kind of life, that it is abundant. So Father, I just pray, Lord, you'll just help us to be aware of that Zoe life that Jesus has come to give us. Lord, we would not allow the enemy to steal, to kill, and to destroy in such a way that it would rob us of that abundant life. Father, I just, again, I pray for those of us as I have these last couple of weeks that are maybe in those places of 
detours, denials. Some here this morning may just feel they're at a complete dead end. And God, for them to be able to see, God, that, that you're not frustrated by that, you're not put off by that, that God, you, you may be using that for a much greater purpose in their life than they can see. So Father, again, I, I, just, I, I thank you for those divine delays, those divine detours. And God, I thank you, Lord, that there's always a greater purpose at work. And Lord, just help us, Lord, to wait upon you, to just stand with you. Lord, just give us humility of heart. That, Lord, we don't, we don't have to know the way. We only need to know you are the way. And so, Father, just help us uh, to walk with you. To be able to hear your voice, to sense your leading and your guiding. And, Father, that for every delay, for every detour, that, Lord, you have a way through that that will bring us to the other side of that with greater clarity, with greater purpose. And Father, again, I just uh, pray, Lord, that you'll just go and be with us as we leave this place this morning. We just again thank you, Lord, for your presence with us, Lord, as I pray over the family, I pray over us, God, that we would, again, uh, just see you uh, walking before us, Lord, that we would look behind us and, and see you there. And that, Lord, as we look to the left and to the right, Father, that we would see you, that we would just again sense your leading and your guiding in every aspect of our lives. And I just thank you for that promise, Lord, that you've never left us as orphans, but that you're here as a, a loving, tender, compassionate Father, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, Father. We again just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promises. They are yes and amen. We thank you, Father, for all that you're doing and that all you've yet to do. And again, Father, we just pray for any and all here this morning, Lord, that, that again we would know, we would be confident in knowing that you cause all things to work together for our good uh, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for we invite you to follow more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events. Please visit us at praisecc.org.